Good morning. If you will open up your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 11. We began Hebrews chapter 11 last week. We are going to be in verses 8 through 16 this morning, um, but we want to read verses 8 through 22. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, um, you can find the passage in the Pew Bible in front of you on page 696. And uh, of course, if you don't own a Bible, um, may, that, uh, may that Pew Bible be our gift to you. And if that Pew Bible is falling apart, I can find you a better Pew Bible. All right. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. As you find your place, if you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we are going to be reading verses 8 through 22 this morning. We are reading about the great men and women of faith, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that today your spirit would speak through the scriptures, help us to understand what is written and how we are to faithfully obey. And God, may we see Christ more clearly. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. My parents have lived in the same house for 44 years. And I know in our transient society, and especially in a military town, where so many of you are accustomed to um, routinely moving, that uh, this is unusual um, for one couple to, to live in the same house for 44 years. My parents, they met in Tulsa. They bought a house when they got married, and they're still in that three-bedroom house on 25th Street in Tulsa. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we visited them, and Julia and I stayed in the room that used to be my bedroom when I was a kid. Um, we still cram all of my family into that three-bedroom house, and that house, it seemed a lot bigger when I was younger. Um, I imagine that if my parents ever have to move, I'll have to tie my mom up and carry her out of that house. Lots of memories in that house. First time I ever moved anywhere was from that room in that house in Tulsa to a dorm room at Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, Oklahoma. 
But even then, every break, every, every summer, I was back in that house in Tulsa. I'd probably still live in Tulsa, though hopefully not in my parents' house, um, except for one thing. I met a girl. <laughs> uh, Julia did not live in Tulsa. <laughs> and I didn't know anything about moving or being away from my family, but I knew that I'd met someone for whom I was willing to leave everything I'd ever known to be with. Um, I've since moved multiple times, and even though I've never had the opportunity to move back to Tulsa, um, and everything that I ever knew growing up, um, so long as I've been with Julia, I've been, I've been home. And the passage before us this morning is about moving, but it's also about home. Um, it's about leaving everything behind and and sojourning in a foreign land. But it's also about heading to an eternal place. We're continuing our study of Hebrews 11 and the Faith Hall of Fame. And we're on Abraham and Sarah this morning. Abraham is the man of faith par excellence. Um, he is the prototypical man of faith. He is the father of faith. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So no discussion on faith would be complete without Abraham. In chapter 10, verse 39, if you'll remember, the author of Hebrews assures the Christians to whom he writes that they are of those who have faith. And so the question becomes, what does that look like? To be of those who have faith, what does that look like? We saw last week in verses 1 through 7 that it looks like faith that works. Faith that works. It's not simply a verbal confession or a mental agreement with some theological truths. It's living in accordance with what you believe, it's living in accordance. It's conforming your life to these truths. We also saw that faith has always been necessary for salvation, not just for people in the New Testament, but for all the saints in the Old Testament. It's always been necessary. We saw that faith has as its foundation the word of God. Faith has its sorrows as well as it has its triumphs. Faith has an object, and true living faith has as its object the true and living God, and faith has a reward. We'll see all of this in Abraham's life today. 11, 8 through 22 focuses on Abraham and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and, and their faith. But we're going, to, we're going to split his story into two parts. So next week, we'll look at verses 17 through 22, and we'll, we'll hone in on that promise of offspring. God promised to Abraham offspring. But today, we're going to look at verses 8 through 16, and we're going to focus on God's promise of land. Because God promised to, to Abraham not only offspring, but a place, a place. But again, our author is not writing about Abraham just so that we'll have information that we can store away and do a character study. He writes about Abraham as an example for us to follow. This isn't just for our, our mental uh, uh, storage. It's for us to live, live like Abraham. So you can turn back to Hebrews chapter 6 verses 11 through 15 where the apostle writes, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. He wants them to persevere to the end. It's the, it's the same idea that we're getting at in Hebrews chapters 10 and 11. So that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then in verse 13, he talks about Abraham. He says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, 
Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. If you want to inherit the promises of God, then you must have the faith of Abraham. And part of that faith is knowing where your home is and knowing who it is that it is worth leaving everything to be with. That's what this passage is about. It's about home. It's about finding the one who is worthy for you to abandon everything to follow. In chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, the apostle reminds these believers of how they've suffered patiently and with endurance in the past, but now that they're suffering again, they're being tempted to give up, to to throw in the towel, to abandon Christ and return to temple sacrifices. So they need to be reminded of of when they had compassion on those who were in prison and, and how they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property since they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one so that they might continue on in faith and persevere to the very end. So what better examples than Abraham and Sarah? And we need their examples as well, because the temptation is always present to make this world, to make this life our home. Abraham shows us another way to live. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ I hope through the scriptures that you'll find Jesus to be the one for whom it's worth losing everything to be with. How are we to live by faith in this world? We'll split this passage into two parts. First, we'll see in verses 8 through 12, three examples from Abraham and Sarah's life. And you'll be able to see these marked by the phrase, by faith. Each time you see by faith, that's one of the examples we'll look at. And then in the second half, we'll see five theological reflections on their life of faith that we're meant to to think upon and apply to our lives. And that's going to be marked by verse 13, where there's a different phrase, not by faith, but in or according to faith. And all of this passage is meant so that we who are of those who have faith might emulate the faith of Abraham. So let's look at our passage. Let's look back at our passage this morning. And let's look in verses 8 through 12 at three examples of faith from the lives of Abraham and Sarah. Let me, let me give them to you up front. You can see them, verse 8, verse 9, verse 11, by faith, by faith, by faith. And the first one is that Abraham, by faith, Abraham obeyed when God called him to go to the land promised to him. The second one is that by faith, he and his family lived as foreigners in that promised land. And then the third one is that by faith, Sarah and Abraham believed that God would be faithful to his promises. So let's look at the first one. Abram, or Abraham's story really begins in Genesis chapter 11. If you want to turn to to Genesis chapter 11, we see there that um, his father lives um, in Ur of the Chaldeans, and uh, we get kind of some background for Abram. But it's, it's 12, 1 through 3, that is especially important. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 Now the Lord said to Abram, that's Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram, he lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, which um, is in modern day Iraq. Joshua chapter 24 verse 2 tells us that he worshipped other gods there. And then Yahweh graciously calls him out. Calls him to leave his country, to leave his family, 
and go to this land that God would show him. And and God gives him promises. As he calls him to go out to another land, he promises him that he will show him a new land and that he will make Abraham into a great nation. Now, this implies offspring. God will bless Abraham and make his name great. And not only will God bless Abraham and make his name great, but all the families of the earth will be blessed in Abraham. And these promises are reiterated and strengthened in chapters 13, 15, 17, 18, 22. But 12, 1 through 3 will be our primary focus for now. This is is where the, the author of Hebrews is really focusing, is on Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Notice what the writer of Hebrews emphasizes. So you're going to want to put one finger in Genesis chapter 12, and you're going to want to turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. You're going to see how the author of Hebrews hones in on the story of Abraham here. And so we see the first example of faith. Abraham acted by faith when having been called by God, he obeyed. He obeyed. Again, we're faced with the same truth that we already saw in verses 1 through 7. Abraham received the word of God. God said, go, go to another land. He believed God and then he obeyed. Faith was not Abraham simply acknowledging facts. It was not Abraham being content with just theological uh, ideas. Um, it, it, it wasn't him hearing God's promise of land and then remaining in Ur of the Chaldeans. It was Abraham doing what God commanded him to do. And notice that he went without hesitation. He went without hesitation. He went without question. He, he didn't delay in his obedience. We try to instill this in our children as best we can. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Um, And the longer you delay in doing what mom and dad tell you to do, the longer you are disobeying, the longer you are living in sin. Uh, But this is not just something that children do. We do this all the time. We, We hesitate. We debate. We reason. We find excuses why we can't do what God commands immediately. When God speaks, we are to obey immediately, without hesitation. This is the the example that we see here. And so we, we are called as Christians to obey God's word immediately. Men. If you're looking at pornography, God doesn't call you to stop tomorrow or next week. He calls you to stop today. He calls you to stop now. Parents, parents, God doesn't command us to to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord next week or next year, or, or after we've got enough training, or we have enough books, and we know what we're doing. Spoiler alert, you're never going to know exactly what you're doing. But we're called to raise our children, to discipline our children according to the Christian faith. Today, today, kids, God commands you to honor your mother and your father today, immediately. When they, when they are instructing you to do something, it's not for you to say, well, why? Or later? Or, or why? <laughs> or why? <laughs> You're called to obey immediately. And you, rebel sinner, who have never trusted in Christ, you are not commanded to turn from your sin and follow Jesus tomorrow or next week or next year or after you've had all your fun or after all of your questions and objections have been answered. You are commanded 
to turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Today. Every second that you delay is another second under the wrath of God and in danger of hell. Tomorrow may be too late. Five minutes from now may be too late. We, we simply don't know. You're commanded to trust in Christ today. We need to follow Abraham's model of faith. Abraham obeyed without hesitation, even though he didn't know where he was going. Notice Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. God calls Abraham and says, go to the land that I will show you. Notice God didn't tell him up front where he was going. He just said, go, go, I will show you. He didn't know where God was taking him, but he went anyway. This is like Noah that we saw last week in verse 7, that, that Noah, he, he believed in things yet unseen. This is Abraham. He's believing in things as yet unseen. This is what faith is. It, it is the, the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's living in accordance to things hoped for. But remember, this isn't a shot in the dark. This isn't a leap of faith. Abraham's faith isn't groundless. He trusts God and his word. He doesn't know where he's going, but he knows who he's to follow. Charles Spurgeon said that faith, talking about Abraham, faith found in God, chart, compass, and pole star all in one. Tom Schreiner, my New Testament, one of the New Testament professors at my seminary said that faith does not see the end at the beginning. Dennis Johnson, another commentator, said faith is awakened as God's voice speaks to his people. And faith responds readily to what God says. He didn't know where he was going, but he knew that God had called him, and so he followed. Abraham believed God, and so he obeyed when God called him to go to the land of promise. That's our example. God's word is clear. The good shepherd calls. His sheep hear his voice and follow him. Without hesitation, Jesus is calling you to follow. What are you going to do? But what about once Abraham was in the promised land, once he got to the land of Canaan? Well, that's where our second example of faith from Abraham's life is. It's found in verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Um, verse 9 here, it tells us that Abraham, he went to the promised land and he lived in it as in a foreign land. It, it literally means a land that belongs to other people. And he stayed in tents and not him alone, but his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob also lived in tents. The phrase that's translated here as he went to live is the word that means to sojourn. He sojourned. He, he didn't settle down in one place, but he traveled through the land. He was a nomad. He was a migrant. And it wasn't because there weren't any cities in Canaan. Um, Abraham had interactions with the Philistines and their cities. In Genesis chapter 14, we read about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim and Zoar, there were cities, and yet Abraham, he chose to live as a sojourner in a tent. Why? Well, we're, we're told in verse 9 that it's by faith. It's by faith. See, in Genesis chapter 13, after Abraham and his nephew Lot um, go their separate ways, and Lot chooses to live by the city of Sodom, God tells Abraham, Abraham to walk through the land. You can see this in chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. Yahweh said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. 
For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that it can, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Now look at verse 17. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. God told Abraham not to settle down. And Abraham obeys by faith. He continues living in tents. But secondly, we're told over in chapter 11, verse 10, that the reason why he lived in the promised land as a sojourner, the reason why he and Isaac and Jacob lived in tents, was because he was looking forward to a different kind of city. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And we'll come back to this idea in a few minutes. He's introducing this example here, but in verses 13 through 16, he's going to expand upon it. So we're not going to deal with it twice, except to say that he was looking for something permanent. He was looking for something permanent, something, something that had foundations. So the, the contrast is between a tent and a city. Now, I'm not much of a camper, but I know that a tent is not super stable when compared with a city. But that's what he's looking for. He's looking for something that is greater. He's looking for something that is designed with a foundation over against something that's designed to collapse and be carried with him. And he believed that God had prepared that place for him. And so he was willing to patiently endure the temporary discomforts of the tent as he waited for the permanent city of God. How little do we imitate this faith? How little do we imitate this faith of Abraham? We want it all now. We want it immediately and every minor inconvenience, every small discomfort becomes reason to throw away the permanent because we're so in love with the temporary. C.S. Lewis, in his famous quote, he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot ima imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. But not so with Abraham. He was looking past the transient to the eternal. He was looking past the, the moment. He was looking into the future. And you're called to do the same. And we'll come back to this in just a moment. The third example of faith in this passage is Sarah, Abraham's wife. We see her in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah's situation really can be summarized by two verses in Genesis at the beginning and end of, of her story. Genesis chapter 11, verse 30 reads, Sarah was barren. She had no child. And then several chapters later, chapter 18, verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. The two difficulties are highlighted for us in Sarah's life. Sarah's age is past the age of childbearing. But the second difficulty is that Sarah has never been able to have children. She's barren. And these were, humanly speaking, insurmountable odds. In fact, verse 12 here in Hebrews chapter 11 says that Abraham was as good as dead. Well, that's nice. It's translated the same way in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. But the ESV actually softens the word. It literally reads, having become dead. Abraham, having become dead. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90. 
the author of, of Moses in, in Genesis, the, the author of Hebrews, they're not speaking disparagingly against the elderly. It's simply stating a biological fact. There's not too many 100-year-old men and 90-year-old women going around having babies. Yet God had promised. Yet God had promised. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, to your offspring I will give this land. Genesis 13, verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if, the, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Genesis 15, verse 5, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. Genesis 17, verses 5 and 6, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. When Abraham responded with laughter and asked that God might bless his son Ishmael, Yahweh responds by saying, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. He goes on to say, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. She's given the same promises that are given to Abraham. These are big promises. How could it be true? How could it be true when Abraham is 100 years old, Sarah is 90? These insurmountable odds, how could these be true? Well, as one theologian put it, in a hopeless situation, Abraham hoped in God. And that's the third example that we have that Sarah did too. She believed in the God of verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. She believed that God spoke into nothing and everything sprung into existence. And so she believed in this God. She believed in the God who could create by a word. So she knew if he could create the universe by the word of his power, that he could give her a baby. She considered this God to be faithful. She believed that the one who had promised would be true to his word so verse 11 says that she received power to conceive. Not that it was her own power. She received power from this omnipotent, faithful God. And her faith and Abraham's faith was rewarded. We read in verse 12. That from one man and him, having become dead, were born. That Greek word that, that reads born there are manuscripts that leave off one letter and it could be had become, emphasizing this out of nothing. God creates descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. They considered God who had promised to be faithful. And their faith was rewarded. Listen to Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. There's that same phrase, he had become dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed, Sarah believed, they considered God faithful and their faith was rewarded. And we are exhorted to have the same kind of faith as they had. And we are given the same promises and we are, are given the same hope that they had. The promise and the oath, back in Hebrews chapter 6 again. 
when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God promised. He sealed it with an oath. God doesn't change. God doesn't lie. It would be impossible for God's promises to fail. You can put your faith in him. You can put your hope in this God. You can base your entire life on these promises because he is faithful. And we see his faithfulness in a way that even Abraham and Sarah never saw. All of God's promises will come true. And we see his commitment to ensuring that every promise will come true in Christ. Because Christ Jesus has died we know that all of our sins and all of our trespasses against God's law have been atoned for. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we can be sure that every aspect, every promise of the new covenant is secured for us. You can hope in this God. You can trust in this God. You can leave everything to follow this God because his word is true. Won't you follow him? Today, if you're here and you've never trusted in him, why are you not following this God who is trustworthy? This God who is faithful. The inclusion of Abraham and Sarah should be an encouragement to us. Because their lives didn't always reflect this super faith that we, we sometimes imagine that they had. They were regular people. They were regular people who had been given these extraordinary promises. But their lives didn't always reflect that. See, immediately after God promises to give the land of Canaan to Abraham's offspring, there is a famine, and Abraham leaves the land, and he gives his wife away. Not a great move. Immediately after God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 to give the land to Abraham's offspring, Sarah hatches a plan for Abraham to take her Egyptian servant Hagar as a wife and to have children with her, and Abraham goes along with it. Both Abraham and Sarah laugh when God says Sarah will have a child. Don't get all mixed up and think it's the strength of your faith that saves. We are saved through faith alone, but it's not by faith in our faith that saves. It's by faith alone in Christ alone that saves. Our salvation does not rest in the power or strength of our faith. Our salvation rests in the power and faithfulness of our Savior. Dennis Johnson again says, the faith that pleases God and receives his promises may struggle, but it does not let go. And that's what we see in the examples of Abraham and Sarah. They're given these extraordinary promises and they live lives of faith, but it's not always a strong faith. It's sometimes a wavering faith, but they never let go. They persevere, and that's what we're called to do also. We're called to persevere, even, even when we doubt, even when we struggle, even through the tears. We're called to never let go because God is faithful. Don't let go, saints. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
That was verses 8 through 12. Three examples of faith that we see in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. By faith, Abraham obeyed without hesitation when God called him to go to the promised land. By faith, he and his family lived as foreigners even in the promised land because they were looking for a permanent city built by God. By faith, Sarah and Abraham believed that God would faithfully fulfill his promises even in a seemingly hopeless situation. But before you start looking at your watch and say, hmm, he's getting done early. We're not done just yet. But before the author of Hebrews moves on to the next section, the, the apostle wants to spend some more time on that second example. Abraham lived as a foreigner. He lived as a, a sojourner, a nomad, a wanderer in the land. For he was looking for a better city. He was looking for a city with foundations whose, whose designer and builder is God. And this is, this is really the point he wants to drive home to his readers. And, and that includes you and it includes me. So in the time remaining, let's reflect on Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob's faith by looking at verses 13 through 16. And we're just going to, to quickly look at five theological, theological reflections on their faith. So here are their examples. Now let's expand on that and let's say, what should we get out of this? How should we live in light of this? We'll see five things in verses 13 through 16. The first thing we see is that they had faith that was stronger than death. They had faith that was stronger than death. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Abraham and Sarah, they received Isaac. They had a child, but that's a far cry from having offspring that are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, as, as many as the stars of the sky. Abraham lived in the promised land, but the only piece of land that Abraham ever owned was a tomb. It was a burial plot. And he had to purchase that from the Hittites. They received these massive promises. And yet they died without seeing them fulfilled. Yet they continued in faith. We're called to follow their example. Again, this is contrary to those preachers who assure you that if you trust God, you'll have health and prosperity and your life will be better. The exact opposite is probably true if you're a real Christian. But you have to have faith that can survive disappointments and sorrows and trials and hostility and death. Faith is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for. But the saints, they don't receive all these promises in this life. This is part of the sorrows of faith. Like Abel, we please God or we gain commendation by faith. But like Abel, we will all also die without having received all the promises. And yet God is faithful. Christ is risen. True faith perseveres unto death. Is that the kind of faith that you have? A faith that perseveres even though you don't see any of it here in this life? Your life is filled with nothing but sorrows and pain. You, you constantly have bad health, you constantly are losing friends, you've lost family, co-workers don't like talking to you because you're a Christian. Is that you and you, you still persevere? That's the kind of faith that Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah, they all had this faith that was stronger than death. We are to emulate this kind of faith and trust God regardless of what we see in this life, because we know that God will keep all of his promises. The second theological reflection is found again in verse 13. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Their faith was forward-looking. 
It was forward-looking. The, the word greeted can mean saluted, or even better, it means embraced. Faith has long arms and far-off vision. It can see the promises of God from a great distance. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham may not have seen Jesus with his physical eyes, but he received the word of God, and with the eyes of faith, he saw him from a distance. And he embraced the promises of Christ and the gospel. And despite being a sojourner in a foreign land, he rejoiced as he looked to those future blessings. Faith doesn't get caught up in the present or in the visible or what it hears or what it touches. Faith is forward-looking. Again, he was willing to be a sojourner in a tent. He was willing to to experience the, the suffering and the sorrows and the discomfort of living as a nomad because he was looking forward to the permanent. The third theological reflection is that their faith was content in this present status. Their faith was content in it. They died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged, that's the word confessed, they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Abraham confessed as much in Genesis 23. He said, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Jacob told Pharaoh in Genesis 47, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were conscious of the fact that they were strangers on the earth. The Apostle Peter uses the same language to describe Christians. He writes to those who are elect exiles in 1 Peter chapter 1. He goes on in 1 Peter chapter 2 to say, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This language of sojourning is embedded in the Christian faith. The very word perish, perish, that's used by some Christian denominations to designate their church or congregation comes from the word to sojourn. We are sojourners in this world. There's a decisive confession that Christians do not belong here. So Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were content to be sojourners because they were forward-looking and they had a faith that was stronger than death. But the fourth theological reflection is found in verses 14 through 16. Their faith was heaven-focused, or even better, their faith was resurrection-focused. People who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. It's the word from which we get our word patriot or patriotism. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. They identified as strangers and exiles and sojourners, and they lived in tents because they were looking for something better. They lived as foreigners, but they fully expected to inherit the promises. They were seeking a homeland. They were seeking something of their own. But lest we wrongly think that they were pining for the country that they had come from, verse 15 tells us that, that if they were thinking, or, or literally if they were remembering Ur of the Chaldeans or, or Haran, they, they would have had opportunity to return. We can think of Abraham's instructions to his servant in Genesis 24, when he's sending him out to find a wife for Isaac, he sends him back to Haran. And the servant says, what if the woman won't come back here? 
Should I take Isaac there? Twice, Abraham tells him, do not take my son back there. Or think of Jacob when he flees to Haran to escape his brother Esau. God meets him on the way and promises to bring him back to the land. Twenty years pass, long enough for Jacob to become comfortable in another country. And yet God tells Jacob to return to Canaan. And Jacob doesn't say, nah, I'm good. He goes back, he obeys. Abraham and Jacob weren't simply looking for a place to lay their head. Contrast this with with Israel. And when they come out of Egypt and they are constantly grumbling in the wilderness and they're constantly saying, I wish we could go back. And so we read already in Hebrews chapters 3 and and 4 that they couldn't enter the promised land because of their unbelief. But if Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if they have been looking back, if they'd been longing for that place where they'd come from, if they were bending back towards it, they also would not have been able to inherit the promises because of unbelief. But instead, they they weren't simply looking for a place to raise a family. They were looking for a better country. They were looking for a heavenly one. They knew the promises of God, but they also knew that they would die without seeing them fulfilled. So then what? Are these promises just simply for someone else? They, they've been given to me, but they, they, I'll never see them. They belong to someone else. No, they believed that the promises of God would be fulfilled. If not in this life, then necessarily in the next And so they desired, they yearned for. The the word is this this idea of stretching out after a better country. There's this idea that Abraham and his descendants were only concerned with this world, with this life. Theologians, they argue over whether Old Testament saints believed in life after death. The author of Hebrews is obviously not entertaining such arguments, and neither should we. Listen to what Calvin says. Calvin writes a lot about the the future hope of the Old Testament saints. He says, they would have been more stupid than blocks of wood to keep on pursuing the promises when no hope of these appeared on earth unless they expected them to be fulfilled elsewhere. He goes on to say, if the doctrine of the gospel is spiritual and gives us access to the possession of incorruptible life, let us not think that those to whom it had been promised and announced omitted and neglected the care of the soul and sought after fleshly pleasures like stupid beasts. He finally says, Away with this insane and dangerous opinion that the Lord promised the Jews or that they sought for themselves nothing but a full belly, Delights of the flesh, flourishing wealth, outward power, fruitfulness of offspring, and whatever the natural man prizes. Christ the Lord promises to his followers today no other kingdom of heaven than that in which they may sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The patriarchs were not looking for a fruitful life here and now on this this physical world. They're looking for resurrection. They're looking for the promises that come through Christ in the gospel. This is the kind of life Christians are called to live. We do not live for this life. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. And when he comes, his saints will hear his voice saying, come out and we will rise to resurrection life. We will rise to a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What about this phrase, those Christians are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good? is Is it bad for us to be thinking too much about our future life? Well, not if you go back and consider the lives of the patriarchs and how consistently those who lived around them benefited by them being there. F.F. Bruce in his commentary said, those who have shared most truly the otherworldliness of the patriarchs have not been unpractical people 
too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. Abraham's neighbors were enriched by the presence of this wandering stranger in their midst. When the territory of some of them was devastated by an invading army on one occasion in Genesis 14, it was Abram the Hebrew, or the Septuagint translates it as Abram the sojourner, who took immediate and effective action to deal with the situation. There have indeed been many occasions when practical men of the world have been thankful to saints and mystics for timely help in an emergency beyond their own power to cope with. The fact that Christians aren't living for this world alone but are living for the resurrection should make us better citizens, better neighbors, better spouses, better co-workers, better students. Not, not, not worse, we should be better because we know that, that what we do now is not in vain. And so we live not for our own pleasure. We live for eternity. the fifth and final theological reflection on their faith found in verse 16 is that their faith got them to God. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Tom Schreiner in his commentary said, since the ancestors long for a heavenly homeland and city and heaven is the residence of God, it is evidence they long for God more than they desired any of the things of this world. Since they longed for God in such a way, he is not ashamed to be called their God. Dwelling in God's presence is their greatest desire and thus God is not ashamed to be identified as their God. Indeed, he has prepared for them a heavenly city so that they may reside with him forever. The author commends the same for his readers. Their desire should not be for earthly comforts, but God's heavenly presence. And they should recognize that if they endure in faith and hope until the end, that God has prepared a city for them. We can read about this city all over the place. Chapter 12, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Chapter 13, verse 14, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Galatians chapter 4, the apostle Paul says that the Jerusalem that is above, she is our mother. We can read about this. The city in Psalm 46, Psalm 48, Psalm 87, Isaiah 33, Revelation 21 and 22. God has prepared a city for his saints. And it's important to note that, that this is a real place. It's not a metaphor. It's not an illusion. It's not poetic language. This is real. God has promised a real eternal city with foundations for his people. And on the last day when Christ comes in all of his glory, he will come with a new heavens and a new earth, with a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride prepared for her husband. And we will live with Christ forever and ever. Amen. God has prepared this city for those who live by faith. For those who desire God, they will be rewarded with God. They will see him face to face. He will be their God. They will be his people. And they will never be cast out of his presence ever. So don't shrink back. Don't fall away. And don't be satisfied with lesser things. Calvin again, we ought to esteem Abraham as one equal to a hundred thousand if we consider his faith, which is set before us as the best model of believing. To be children of God, we must be reckoned as members of his tribe. Abraham encountered the God who was worth leaving everything to get to. And yet too many confessing Christians verbally, 
verbally confess faith in Christ, but they live like the world is their true home. This ought to cause us to question whether they've ever even encountered Abraham's God. But more than that, it ought to cause us to examine our own lives. Where is your attention most focused? Is it on your job? Is it on a relationship? Is it on money? Sports? Entertainment? Where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Where is your home? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll be finished. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Abraham set his mind on things above. He looked to future blessings and embraced Christ by faith. Anyone who would inherit the Abrahamic promises must have the Abrahamic faith. I pray that each one of us would have the faith of Abraham. That we would see the beauty of Christ. That we would embrace him by faith. And that in seeing him by faith, by embracing him, we would see the one who is worthy of leaving behind everything in this world in order to get to him. He is the treasure of the universe. Christian, if you've been pursuing lesser things, repent and run to Christ. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus because you're pursuing all of those earthly lesser things, I pray that your eyes will be open to see the glories of Christ. That he is worthy of all of your worship. He is worthy of all of your heart. I pray that God would grant us that we would see how amazing Christ is. And that we would pursue him with every ounce of our being. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Because we so often set our our hearts on lesser things. We are so easily infatuated with these transient worldly things and we don't think about Christ we don't speak about Christ we struggle to read and to pray Because if if many of us were honest with ourselves, we would say that that we just don't find Christ as exciting as a football game or as TV or going to a movie. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for how we have not treasured Christ. For how we have not made him the center of our entire lives. Where we have not set our minds on things above where Christ is. We've set our minds on things below.
But God, I pray that you would use this passage of scripture today. Your spirit would use the word to change us, to convict us, to warn us, to encourage us and to strengthen us to follow after Christ. May we follow the example of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, as they trusted in you and they believed the promises and they were willing to live as sojourners and strangers in this world if they could just get to you. Pray that our heart's desire and our heart's affections will be towards you and you alone. Be glorified in your church this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.